Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. We are getting closer, and things are heating up. Seven or eight weeks ago, we began our journey with Jesus to Jerusalem. He warned his disciples, as it is recorded in the Synoptic Gospels, three times each, a total of nine times, he warned them that he was going up to Jerusalem, that he might offer his back to the smiters and be hung upon the gibbet of the cross until dead. We make this journey too. During Holy Lent with him, we go out with him unto Jerusalem in order to die. Now we know more today than they did then. We have the benefit of the resurrection and of Pentecost. And so it would be all the more tragic for us not to be found at the foot of the cross on Good Friday. It was one thing for his own people to fail to recognize him and reject him, even for his dear friends and disciples who had lived with him for these several years to desert him in his hour of trial, to deny him even with curses. It's quite another thing for us to forget our Savior, to go about our lives without much regard for him, especially after we have seen the risen Lord, after we have received the Spirit poured out into our hearts, Jesus, as he moves deliberately closer to his goal, we see in the Gospels and even in our services in this season, but we see in the Gospel stories how tensions are heightened. There seems to be this sort of rumbling in the spiritual realm beneath the surface. There's something shifting, something ominous. Things are heating up. As I said, and no one really knows what's going on. Not the Jews, not the disciples, not the demons themselves. Only Jesus. And he is very much alone in all of this. One of the themes which comes to the fore in these last days is the utter failure of the Jews to recognize Jesus as their Savior. But their sin does not rest in some benign failure to recognize him. Mary failed to recognize him in the garden. The two disciples failed to recognize him on the road to Emmaus. But their failure to recognize these Jews does not give way. Rather, it percolates and it stews and it grows into them into eventually a full-blown murderous rage. And Jesus makes clear several times in the gospel and in today's reading as well that all of this is instigated by the devil whom they have received as their father. They accused him of being a bastard child of fornication. They accused him of having a devil. That's strong language. But that's what they accused him of. This is the accusation that his own people spit in his face. The very face of the enfleshed God the one who had created them, loved them, nurtured them, carried them in his arms for so many generations, had now come to them to die the most horrible death imaginable for them. And when he hints at who he truly is, 
the one that they had been waiting for, longing for, crying out for, I am he. They are enraged all the more, and they are driven by the demons to pick up stones in order to stone him. But our gospel says he hid himself, because as we know in John's gospel, his hour had not yet come. That comes in chapter 12, we're still in chapter 8. His hour had not yet come. This whole theme of rejection, of demonic-driven, murderous rage, of betrayal, and not only by his enemies, by the way, but even by his friends. This theme dominates in these last days, and it's only going to intensify as we come into Holy Week and the sacred triduum. Jesus' pain and suffering is made more acute. Perhaps we could say it consists largely in his isolation and betrayal. We hear his voice in David. Again and again, the prophet speaks in the voice of Jesus Christ, of his isolation and his betrayal. We heard it this morning, if you were here in Matins, in the very first psalm. We heard the voice of the Savior coming through the prophet David. Theologians have struggled and wrestled to express what could be going on in the Garden of Gethsemane as he pours his soul out to the point of shedding of blood. All the while, which is pointed out to us, again, his closest friends, unable to watch with him, to sit with him, to pray with him, they are asleep nearby. And then on the cross, his cry of dereliction, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now we know the Father did not abandon the Son, which is an impossibility. I'm not going to get into this today. And yet, it would be wrong to fail to recognize in this cry of Christ, a cry of real pain and suffering. So this is what I want us to think about this morning. The rejection of Jesus by his own people, and even for a short period by his own dear friends. Well, there's a shocking little phrase at the beginning of today's gospel pericope, the, the section here, this discourse. We didn't read it. We picked up halfway through his discussion with these Jews in the temple. But at the beginning of, of this, just a few verses earlier, um, Jesus John tells us something about these Jews that's rather shocking, especially in the light that Jesus has just called them the spawn of Satan. <laughs> Pretty harsh. Well, about a minute earlier, before he said that, John tells us, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. Now that is a strange thing. The Jews he was talking about, John just tells us, these are the Jews that believed in him. In a few moments, these same Jews who quote-unquote believed in him are going to try and stone the Son of God. And he calls them children of the devil. These are the ones who believed in him. They literally go from those who believe in him to sons of the devil in about five verses. Obviously, their faith was rather shaky. Some may say it was not real belief. But I think that's to spiritualize it too much. They believed. They believed in him. They had some some resonance of who he was and he had come and he was special and they had some faith, some belief in him. But they did not abide in his word 
and prove to be his true disciples. That's the next verse, by the way. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. The remarkable thing about this passage is they couldn't manage to stay in his word for much more than a, a few moments before trying to kill him before his hour. That's a warning. <laughs> that should cause us a little trembling. What does this mean for us? Why all this attention about the rejection of the Jews? We're Christians. Oh, I've struggled with this over the years. You know, you always want to read the scriptures and say, okay, what does this mean for me? You want to walk away feeling like you've got something out of it. Well, we read this dominant theme of the rejection of the Jews, and we think to ourselves, we're Christians. We love Jesus. We didn't reject him. I mean, we're sitting here in church. The recipient of the Hebrews sermon loved Jesus too. And yet they were repeatedly warned in strong and alarming language of the dire possibility of falling away. We're going through Hebrews right now in our adult Sunday school class. St. Paul warns the Corinthians not to think that just because they're baptized and now the new race of man, that they are impervious to apostasy. He uses the stories of the Jews, repeated failures in the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures, their forgetfulness, their idolatry, harlotry, failures of faith. He uses it again and again as an example. He says, this is an example for you. This was written for you, for your admonition. As examples, as a warning for the Christian church. If the stories of the Jews' failures and the Hebrew scriptures were written as an admonition for the Christians, I suppose my question would be, how much more the stories of the Jews' rejection of Jesus in the Christian scriptures? Not only the Jews' rejection of Jesus, which we read about and is tragic and sorrowful and horrific, but maybe even more poignant to a certain extent is the rejection of Jesus by his own friends, their desertion of him, Judas's betrayal, Peter's denial with curses. We have to remember the Gospels were written as catechisms for the church, for the early Christians. And if we read the story of the golden calf as a warning against idolatry in the Old Testament, then when we read the story of the Jews who believed in Jesus, here in this passage, and then immediately come under the paternal oversight of Satan, how are we as Christians supposed to assimilate this story for our own lives? John wrote this story for Christians. Well, we have to ask ourselves, what is the disposition of our own heart? Again, in Matins the second, the reading from the Old Testament, where God said that their sacrifice was putrid to him, not because he doesn't want us to offer sacrifice, but it had to do with the disposition of the heart. Are we rich and clean and healthy like the religious leaders, those who regularly fast and do what they're supposed to do, all put together on the outside, but on the inside, as Jesus says, full of dead men's bones? Or are we like, and do we identify with the forgiven prostitute, forgiven much and loving much. The redeemed publican, the thief, the wandering child who squandered everything, who is only desperate for mercy and forgiveness. Are we rich and healthy or are we poor and miserable? 
The disposition of our hearts will determine if we are going to forget Jesus or if we are going to remember him. If we walk presumptuously or circumspectly. These gospel stories of the Jews' rejection of Jesus, they need to penetrate our hearts. We don't just sit back and say, oh, look at those silly, evil, terrible Jews. No, they are us, or God forbid that they should be us or we should be them. We should read these stories, and we should sort of tremble a bit, take stock, become circumspect. We should read about the betrayal and the desertion stories of Jesus' disciples, which we will be doing in these coming days, these passion narratives. And they need to be personal for us. We're not only instructed and warned by the Jews of the Old Testament, we are also and equally and maybe even more so admonished by these gospel stories. It is not enough for us to say we are baptized and therefore we are children of faith of Abraham. It's not enough any more than it was enough for the Jews to claim to have the blood of Abraham running through their veins. As we continue on this path over the next few days unto Calvary, God help us to be sober and circumspect. We are further aided beginning today on Passion Sunday by this disturbing veiling of our friends. Someone said to me one year, Father, I don't like this. I said, well, good, that's the point. I don't like it either. I don't think they meant that. I think they meant, I don't like this and we shouldn't be doing it. (laughs) Well, I don't like it either, but it's good to do it. The Jews tried to stone him and he hid himself. When we sit here in this uncomfortable, disturbing atmosphere where our friends are veiled, the light is sort of a little bit gone out of the room should cause us the pang in our heart. We should say, oh, my Lord, my Savior, my Lord Jesus, lover of my soul, do not hide yourself from me. That is our prayer. We think we want more of God, but something unexpected happens when he takes a step towards us. Oftentimes we step back because we weren't sure what we were getting in this bargain You know, he steps towards us and a great light comes. Well, then we find out that light, the source of that light is fire. And fire burns. God shows up at the door of our heart, but he's not a tame guest. But if we let him have his way, with our house will be illumined and filled with joy. There was nothing which shaped the Jewish psyche more than the longing for Messiah. They begged and pleaded for generations, thousands of years, for God to fulfill his promise to come, and then he came, and they didn't know what to do with him. They hailed him as king, which we will do next week, and then they called for his crucifixion. They liked his miracles. They liked the wonder bread. But when he began to expose who he really was and why he was there, things turned ugly. Well, that's sort of what's happening with us as we enter Passion Tide. These next two weeks, the whole world is engulfed in darkness. And the one thing that provokes this darkness, this coming darkness, is Jesus revealing himself as the light more openly. It should bring joy, but it doesn't. The light brings the darkness because men's hearts are evil. He gives them the greatest message ever uttered, that if you keep my word, you shall never see death. 
and they respond to him by saying, you're possessed of a devil. When we read these stories, when we walk with Jesus to the praetorium, to the scourging post, to Golgotha, let's make this personal for us. He is our elder brother. He is our friend. He is our savior. He is the lover of our souls. Not only are we capable of sleeping while he prays, not only are we capable of denying him with curses, of being absent when he's offered on the altar of the cross, of betrayal and desertion, we are capable of making the devil our father, even after believing in him. And I say this not to scare us. Well, that's not true. I do say it to scare us a little bit. With a holy fear, you know. Not to cause psychological trauma, of course. Because we are safe. You are safe. Nothing can harm you. Nothing can touch you. You are all free from every power formed against you. The only danger you face is your own failure to love him. And it doesn't have to be a great love. Just a small love. You just need a little bit of faith. A mustard seed's worth. And even that he will give to you. A simple faith. A simple Lord have mercy. And you will be saved. He requires so little from us. But there is a requirement. As I said last week. We offer him a penny wafer. A meaningless, simple, worthless little wafer we give to him in this offertory and he gives us back the flesh of Jesus Christ, the bread of immortality. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.